Well, Mother's Day, woo, we're, uh, we're excited about that. And here's something that is just a general truth that is great to remember on Mother's Day. Of all the relationships that we experience in this world, the relationship between a mother and child is probably the purest and could be defined as the most unconditional, if that makes sense, but an unconditional relationship. And I was reflecting on that. Uh, when I became a Christian, I heard this story really early on to sort of communicate how much God the Father loves us. And it was a story about a guy that worked uh, for the train company, and his job was to lower drawbridges when the trains would come by. And one day he took his son to work, and his son was playing when a train was coming, and he was down in the gears of where uh, the, the bridge would go down. And the father realized that if he put the bridge down, it would crush his son. And the story, because it was trying to make a point of how much the father loves us, uh, is that the father lowered the drawbridge, saving all the people that didn't even know what was happening and crushing his son. And I was just reflecting that, uh, moms, if that had been you working the drawbridge, I just imagine that story would end a little bit differently. It'd be like, you know, I feel so bad for those people on the train, but there's absolutely no way I'm crushing my child to save them. And it just reinforces the idea that, moms, we learn unconditional love from you. And so we honor you today, and uh, we're going to talk about a topic that's relevant to you, not only to you, but relevant to you. But before we do that, I want to just take a second and pray. And I want to pray for all of you, not just the moms, because I know that on a day like this, there's some of you that are with your moms, you're feeling great, it's a great day to celebrate. And then there's some of you where it's much harder day. And I was just talking to someone who just lost uh, his mom just less than a month ago. And so today's a really hard day for him. And there's, for some of you, uh, you didn't have sort of the hallmark relationship with your mom. And your relationship with your mom's real difficult. And so today's a hard day. And I know that uh, there's some of you that are trying to have children and you're not able to have children. And so again, today is a hard day. So we want to pray and just pray for all of us as we enter into this day and enter into this message. So if you bow your heads. Uh, Jesus, we are so grateful for our moms. And we thank you so much that that is the way in your wisdom that you have decided that the human race will continue, how we will come into life, how we will be nurtured and raised. And so we thank you for that, and we thank you for our moms. Uh, we also recognize, though, that today is a hard day for people. And uh, for those of us that have lost a mom or those of us that have a hard relationship with our mom, and uh, while there's some positives, there's also some real challenges. And then for the women here and the husbands, uh, the people that would love to be pregnant and are having the hardest time doing that, um, we just want to pray for everyone. And we thank you, Jesus, that it is true that in your word, uh, you tell us that God the Father is a father to the fatherless, and that also makes him a mother to the motherless. And we are grateful that we can come to you even in our pain sometimes. And so we pray today truly would be a day where we honor you and reflect on the good things that you have done. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, um, one of the things that I recognized early on as Julie and I became parents and she was a mom is that her life never stopped. Uh, she was constantly on, uh, whereas my job was, had some boundaries around it when I was at work or not at work. Uh, her, her life never had boundaries around it. There were always kids. Kids were always around. Kids were always doing everything. You know, she would tell me, 
You know, I scored today because I was able to go into the bathroom by myself and go to the bathroom. And I was just thinking, man, I don't know how I could handle that kind of uh, closeness all the time. Um, And for moms, you go through all these seasons with your children. And busyness is just obviously the thing that is just constantly around you. So, you know, you go from little toddlers that you have to watch all the time and be with all the time. And the energy is all consuming and they don't sleep through the night and all those kinds of things. And then move into the but whys. And moms, for those of you that are in the but whys, you know how just thrilling that time is for you, where anything that you say to your child, they say, but why? You know, so you need to clean up your room. But why? All right, you guys can play with this. You know, because dad's coming home, we want to have the room clean. But why? Because we don't want him to get all mad when he comes in and sees your room all messed up. But why? Because mommy says that she wants you to clean up the room. But, but why? And finally, it's like, because you want to see your seventh birthday, right? And, you know, it just finally, you just go to the bottom line of that kind of a thing. And then there's the teenage years, which are uh, super exciting. And if you've not been there yet, um, you're in for such a treat. And it's the most interesting thing that for some reason, moms, you become idiots during the teenage years. You know, you are really smart, 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 smart. And then, you know, sort of around... The, you know, when your kid turns 12, 13, all of a sudden you're kind of an idiot. And then you're a real idiot. And then somehow on the end it pops out and it's like, you know, you know, mom's actually kind of smart. But there's the idiot years, and those are kind of interesting years. And um, my mom would tell you that, you know, the pressures and the busyness and the anxiety of having a child never end. And um, I think I've told you this story, and I'm so I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but there was this great story about me and my brother with my mom about five years ago in Laguna where she thought that I had been kidnapped because I didn't return to the place that she said on time. She sent my brother to a parking garage to yell in trunks of cars to just see if I was unconscious somewhere. And when I finally showed up, uh, she had some very colorful things to say to me. And, and that is one of my favorite stories about my mom because it just reminds me that the anxiety of raising children like never leaves you. Uh, even if you're, you get flowers for the oldest mom or the, the mom with the oldest, most idiotic child, whatever it is, okay. So, and you know what? When Jesus comes to us, because, of course, having peace in our life is not something that only moms need. We all need it. Jesus said a really interesting thing. And in the book of John, and in fact, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hands. We'll get you a Bible real quick. But if you do have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14, John 14, Jesus, just raise your hands if you want a Bible. Jesus is with his disciples, and it's the last night, and he makes a really intriguing statement to them that I actually want us to reflect on. We're going to look at a story in the Bible, but I want us to reflect on this truth. It's John 14, verse 27, and Jesus says these words. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. And uh, there were so many things that Jesus said that night that that's easily something that we can just pass by and not recognize uh, what an incredible uh, sort of uh, gift that Jesus was giving us, this idea of having peace in our life. And if there's anything that's true for us living in the 21st century, And you would think maybe with technology or with greater education or the affluence that we live in, that something that we'd be able to get is peace. But for most of us, we would say, I have no more peace now than I did 10 years ago, maybe even less peace now. 
I have no more peace because of all my gadgets or all the things that I can, you know, with technology that I can see or get involved with, with all the opportunities and with cars to drive us to and fro. In fact, instead of having more peace, I feel like I have less peace even. And so we want to really look into this idea of how do you get peace? And for those of you with moms with toddlers, you're probably like, absolutely, I need to know that. I need to know how to have peace. So this story takes place in Luke chapter 10. So just skip back a couple of books to Luke 10. And uh, this is a story that is told um, where Jesus and his disciples, he's traveling with the disciples, are going to Jerusalem. And on the way into Jerusalem, they stop at the house of maybe Jesus' best friends that weren't disciples or quote-unquote part of the twelve. Uh, and it was Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And in this story, Lazarus is not there, but Mary and Martha are. And it's a very short story. Uh, we can read it quickly. But it tells a very interesting story because if you ever feel busy, Martha is your woman. Martha was hectic. She was anxious. She was overwhelmed. There was too many things coming at her. And so in this really short story, we learn some some incredible things, actually incredible insights from Jesus about how do you deal with a life that is too busy? How do you handle the fact that there's just, you know, too many things and not enough hours, too many responsibilities, not enough hands, too many kids, not enough parents, whatever it is, how do you handle that? And we, we get some great insights from Jesus on this story. So it starts in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, and it starts this way, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, Martha uh, had probably the gift of hospitality, and some of you may have that gift, and so you love having people in your house, and you have very specific ideas in your mind when somebody comes into your house on how that whole event should go and, and how people should be treated and how the house will look and what the food will taste like and just how the kids will behave. And, you know, you sort of have all these ideas. And that is Martha. Martha has a very specific idea as Jesus and the disciples are coming in about how it should go. And you can probably imagine from the get-go there is some anxiety building. And um, it was funny. I was talking to a friend of mine, a, a woman friend of mine, a few years ago. And I said, why do you think Martha was so stressed as Jesus was coming. And she says, are you kidding me? Do you know how stressful it is to have a pastor come over to your house? And uh, she said, you know, you've got to have, the house has to look immaculate, and the food has to taste perfect, and the kids all have to be well-behaved, because if you don't, you know what's coming. You're going to be in a sermon illustration. And she was just like, there is so much stress on that whole thing. And so anyway, as, this, as we enter into the story, we are set up for a very stressful situation with Martha being the type of personality she is, with the, the desire she has to really put on a good dinner and to treat Jesus and his friends well. Uh, and, and now, uh, as the, the story unfolds, we see the tension starting to rise a little bit because as this is all happening in verse 39... Uh, It says, uh, sort of, there's a sidekick here, and the sidekick is named Mary. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So let me just pause on Martha for a second, because we need to look at Mary for just a second. Mary doesn't say anything in this story, 
and for some reason, somehow, she becomes the hero of the story. And I'm sure Martha's thinking, this is so unfair. This is so unfair that Mary gets the spotlight, and I'm the one that's doing all the work. Well, let me just make a, a clarity about this phrase, sitting at Jesus' feet, sitting at the rabbi's feet. Uh, that is actually uh, a, a phrase that means more than just her posture sitting down at the bottom of where Jesus is talking. In fact, she probably wasn't literally sitting at his feet. This is a statement about her ordering her life in such a way that when Jesus is there, she thinks the most important thing I can do is listen to what he's got to say. In fact, even beyond that, really what this is a statement of, uh, the phrase literally means to become a disciple of someone. In other words, Mary was organizing her life so that she could be a follower of Jesus. And so when Jesus comes into her house, uh, you know, we, do, we don't know if she was just irresponsible or she didn't like Mary, Martha or she didn't care about how clean the house was. Whatever's going through her mind, she has one thought. The best thing I could do with my time is to sit here and to listen to what Jesus is saying, to take this opportunity to be with him and find out more about what it means to follow him. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit here. And another thing that is actually shocking about this story that you guys didn't even, it didn't even phase you. You didn't even think about it. But in that culture, in that day, to have a female, a woman, who could be a disciple was unheard of. It just was not practiced in the Jewish culture. Men were disciples. Rabbis discipled men not women. And here again, we see Jesus breaking into the mold of society and saying, it's not going to be that way in my kingdom. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. Your gender makes no difference. If you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you can be my disciple. And one of the things that's really interesting about the early church is there's several women in Paul's epistles. There's several women uh, not only that are disciples, but that become actually leaders in the church. That from the get-go, there is this idea that male-female just makes no difference. And here we see it with Jesus saying to Mary, you know, sit at my feet. Become my disciple. This option is open for you. Now, this is happening to Mary. At the same time, Martha is getting more and more distressed. And so we don't know exactly what's happening, but it probably doesn't take a rocket scientist to imagine that some things are going wrong. So, you know, the meat is burning and the bread isn't rising and Lazarus is nibbling off the plates and, you know, all these things are happening and Martha's getting more and more amped up and she's getting more and more tense and more and more stressed as all of this is happening. And finally, she blows. And again, in the story... Um, you know, you need to picture what would, what would possess somebody to do what Martha does here. Because here's what's happening. Everybody is sitting around Jesus, and Jesus is talking. And Martha looks around and says, well, at least Mary should be helping me. At least my little sister should be helping me with this stuff. But instead of going to the side of the room and trying to get Mary's attention and, you know, maybe sort of signaling to her and being discreet and trying not to draw a lot of attention, we don't get that from Martha. She actually goes in and interrupts what's happening. And she not only addresses Mary, she addresses Jesus. And so she comes into him and she says to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? 
Tell her to help me. And so nothing subtle about this. You know, can you say sibling rivalry? There is this amazing tension in the room as she comes in. And everybody looks to Martha as she says this. And as soon as she makes the statement, all eyes turn over to Jesus to say, whoa, how is he going to respond? What is he going to say now to Martha? Now, what do you think was Martha's expectation? What did she think Jesus probably would say? Absolutely. Mary, what are you doing in here? You can't let your sister do all the work. Get in there. Give her a hand. Is that what Jesus does? No. So we see the end of the story here. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So uh, Martha doesn't get the response from Jesus that she wants. And of course, in that answer, we get to see all kinds of insight as to not only problems that Martha has, but these are problems we have. We are Martha. We do these sorts of things. And I want to just spend the next few minutes tying this into why is this relevant to us? How does this relate to us? What does this have to do with us living in peace? Because for Martha... Jesus was going to readjust the track she was on. She was going down one track. She was totally locked on it. She was so locked on it that she came in and interrupted Jesus, thinking her track has to be the right track. Obviously, I'm doing the right thing. And Jesus, actually in a fairly gentle way, but in a firm way, he says, no, 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 Martha, you're on the wrong track. And this isn't even really about Mary here. This is about you. You've got to get off this track and onto a different track, or Martha you will never have peace. You will never have peace. So let's learn some things from Martha. And here's what you need to realize. Um, Let me just ask this question. Uh, You know, there's certain tests that uh, categorize us. And there's one test that categorizes us into, I think it's just different letters, because you only hear about one letter, the type A personality. And the type A personality is a person who is sort of task-oriented and kind of driven, and if there's something that's happening, they're going to keep on plowing forward, and they're probably going to sort of move other people in that direction, and it's pretty clear always on how they go. Let me just ask you a question. How many of you would say that you're a type A personality? I am. I'm a type A. All right? Okay, we have some type A personalities. Whether you're, I see people, spouses looking at the other spouse, and then, like, why are you not raising your hand? They're like, no, this is not going to be good. You don't want to volunteer for type A in this message. I understand, Ryan. I understand. Okay. So, here we go. Um, Here's the reality, though. Whether you're type A or not, we all fall into these kinds of things. Now, here's the first thing that you need to know. Type A's have a great character quality, and that is they put love into action. They get things done. And you know what? There's nowhere in the Bible where it says that we should not get things done, that there's something admirable about being lazy or passive or to procrastinate or to let everybody else do it. Nowhere in the Bible. In fact, the story that precedes the story is the story of the Good Samaritan, about a Samaritan that puts love into action, actually does something that does some good. And so just let's be real clear about this. The reason most of us are busy is because it comes out of this desire to put love into action, to actually get something done, to to make a difference. And so that's a great thing. But here's the problem that Jesus points out. He says, listen, it isn't that 
it's bad to do something good. The problem with you, Martha, is you're trying to do too many things. There's just too many things on your plate. You're, you're all wired, wigged out because there's just too many things going on. It's interesting, um, a few years ago, I listened to a guy uh, speak named Jack Roppel, and Jack Roppel heads uh, a performance institute in Orlando, and what they do is they measure energy, how energy is expended by people, and he actually works with athletes and tries to talk about what are the best ways to expend energy and how are we wired. And he comes up with something that's really interesting that we violate almost all the time. And here's what's interesting, and just another interesting note is that the Bible says this too, but that we are wired to run in cycles, that the way that our body works best is that there are times of energy and times of rest, and then there's times of energy and there's times of rest. And he makes a really strong point. He says uh, that our EEGs, which are our brain waves, that's how they work. There's times of energy, there's times of rest. In our EKGs, which is how our heart works, there's times of energy and there's times of rest. If you were to look at people's blood sugar, there's times where the blood sugar goes up and there's energy, and there's times where blood sugar goes down and we rest. All of us, you know, emotions work that way. There's times when our emotions are high and positive, and there's times where our emotions come back down and we start to, you know, get lower, and, and, and our emotions go on a cycle. Now, here's what's so interesting. In the 20th, 21st century, we can live in a linear fashion. In other words, it is quite possible for us to get up at the beginning of the day and to press the red line through every phase of our day with no rest, that we just keep on pounding through the day, that we don't honor this idea that we've been built for cycles, that we've been built for energy, rest, energy, rest, and that we live in linear ways. And then we start to wonder, why am I so stressed out? Why, when I go, is my cholesterol so high? Why, is, why do I have heart problems? Why can't I sleep at night? Why am I dozing off in the middle of the day when I need my energy? And the reality is because we violated this idea that we're not wired to run in a linear fashion. We aren't wired to run redlining from the moment we wake up until the moment our head hits the pillow. Or that we're not wired to run so that we never have a day off. Or we never get a vacation. And so many of us think, and this is, this is what is just the most... The, the largest problem is we think it's admirable. I mean, I think this way. It's admirable when you tell somebody, oh, I am so busy. Oh, my to-do list is so long. Oh, I haven't had a day off in weeks. I don't even know what a vacation is. I haven't had a date with my spouse. I don't even know who my spouse is anymore. You know, and we think, wow. We think in our culture that that's something positive, and what Jesus would say is, oh my gosh, too many things. It's great to do good things, but you've got to recognize that you work on a cycle. There's times for up and there's times for down. Martha, chill out. You need to rest. You don't need to work this way. And so we see that 
that really what Jesus' answer to this is you need to simplify. You just need to simplify. You've got to recognize you can't get everything done. And you know what? Let me just tell you because, again, this is a personal confession. There is a dark place that this comes from. And you know what the dark place is? The dark place is if I don't do it, it won't be done right. If I don't get it done, who can I trust? It's up to me. And you know what? There's a real dark place because there's only one person that you can count on to get everything done right. And it's not you. And it's not me. We are not God. We have certain things, yes, and there's times to rest and relax. And that's what Jesus is saying to Martha. Martha, there's too many things. Too many things kicking around in your head. You're running way too hard. You're going to have to make some decisions here, Martha. You're going to have to say no to some things. You're going to have to prioritize rest and what you say yes to and what you say no to. Some of us have the hardest time saying no to somebody else, right? I mean, people pleasers unite. We have the hardest time saying no. So I'm going to help you right now. I want you to turn to the, next per the person next to you and just say no. Just go ahead. Just tell them no. It's going to feel really good. Just say no. You can say no way. And you can get up and point at them if you want. You think so? No way, buster. All right, enough of that. You just, we wanted to flex those muscles. In Matthew 6.33, it says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, one thing, and all these things will be given to you. In other words, what Jesus would say is you'll get actually a lot more done if you don't try to do too many things. Just seek one thing, his kingdom, his righteousness, one thing. So that's the first thing that we learn. Here's the second thing that we learn. And it comes from a great quality that Martha was true, was true of Martha. She was good at personal responsibility. If you gave her something to do, she would get it done. She was the kind of person that when you, when you said, hey, Martha, could you help me out here? How about putting this party together? How about helping me get this thing done at work? How about you know, helping me organize this birthday party? Whatever the thing is, if Martha said yes to it, here's what you could get. You, you, would, you could bet your life on. She will come through. She will do it. She will say what she said. She's very responsible. Type A people tend to be very responsible. If you ask them to do it and they say yes, it's over their dead body. They won't get it done. And Martha was that way. And you know what? That's a great quality. It's a great quality to be trustworthy and faithful and someone that is, you know, follows through, true to their word. Those are all great things. Here's what we see Martha doing. And <laughs> again, this is so convicting to me. Um, but much more convicting to my wife, Julie, I'm sure. <laughs> Just kidding. No, this is... Uh, when we're responsible, we tend to try and control other people. And that is what Martha is doing here. She is trying to control Mary. But you know, it isn't Mary alone she's trying to control. When you think back to that story, there's one other person she tries to control in the story, and that would be Jesus. Tell Jesus to get my, you know, Jesus, tell my sister to get here and do this. And, uh, oh my gosh, this is such a problem for me um, that I take my responsibility not only to be mine, but everybody around me needs to follow through so that I can get done what I need to get done. And when that happens, we tend to project onto other people our desires for them, what they've got to, what they do need to do, what they don't need to do, and we find ourselves either bossing people around, or if we're a little more subtle, we're manipulative, and we, we try to 
position it so that they'll do what we want them to do. And Jesus looks at Martha, and he just basically says, you know what, you should not be, I mean, he's like, bossing me around, really, Martha, you think that's possible? But he's like, I don't want you to do that with Mary. Your job is not to run Mary's life. It's not your job to figure out what Mary should be doing with her time. It's your job to figure out what you should be doing with your time. And so he just says, don't do that. Knock it off. No more of that. And um, I remember years ago, uh, we were having troubles with our oldest child. And um, at that point, I was young and naive enough as a parent to think, I can just power up and make my teenage son do whatever I want him to do. So I remember having this conversation in his room, and he had just gotten into trouble, and he was starting to sort of fall apart in school. And I remember standing in his doorway, and he was laying on his bed, and he was looking at me, and I just said, Josh, here's the truth you need to grasp right here. I am going to win. Whatever it takes, I will win. You will do what I want you to do. So whatever it takes, Josh, I just need you to know, this was such, I mean, this should have been like a movie script. I was like, I felt so powerful, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, whoever it was. I was just laying it down. Clint Eastwood, go ahead, make my day. I was just like powering into him. And you know what I learned over the next few months? Who was going to win? Josh was going to win. Because the bottom line is you cannot control another person. And Josh reflects back on that conversation because, oh, yes, he remembers it. And he said, Dad, when you said that, there was only one thing going through my mind as I smiled at you and nodded and acted like I was going to follow through is, oh, no, my friend, you will not win. I will win when it comes to my life. And that was a hard lesson. And I still have that lesson pounded into me as I try to push people in a direction. But here's what Jesus says is you're not responsible for somebody else. You're not responsible for what they do, what they don't do, what they prioritize, what they don't prioritize. Now, you are responsible to them. And so that it doesn't mean that you never put boundaries down. It doesn't mean you can never make a request. But this idea of going beyond and extending my responsibility becomes your responsibility. Uh, Jesus says, nobody likes that. And furthermore, you will kill yourself trying to do it because you cannot control another person. Just stop it. Just let go of it. Don't even try. Don't even try. Uh, This wonderful story is told in the book of John at the end of the book, and Peter is being restored into ministry. And if you know Peter's story, he had failed Jesus when Jesus was uh, arrested. He had uh, denied him. And now Jesus is restoring him and saying, Peter, you know what? You get another chance. And it's a great story of redemption. But then there's this really interesting part that plays right at the end. After Jesus says, you know, Peter, you're going to do a great job. You're going you're to stand up for me. In fact, you're going to stand up for me so much that in the end they're going to kill you for believing in me, which actually to Peter was good news because it meant he wasn't going to fail again. And then Peter's looking around and he looks over at John, who's probably his closest friend, uh, the apostle John, And he says, well, what about him? Is he going to die? And Jesus gives the greatest line back to Peter. What is that to you? He just says, what is that to you? Why do you care? What difference does it make? Peter, you've got plenty to worry about worrying about yourself. You don't need to worry about John. And for some of us, that's, that's the attitude we need. When it comes to other people, we just have to say, what is that to me? What is it to me that they do that or don't do that? It's not my job to control their life. I'm not running their life. 
And for some of us, that's just so important. And it gives us peace. When you let go of somebody else, it just gives you peace. And you're like, great, I don't need to be God in their life. Gives us peace. The final thing that we see here, and um, this isn't the third of three tips. Okay, so if the first tip is to simplify, and the second tip is to honor others and allow them to make their own decisions, this third one doesn't fall into that category because the reality is you can't do the first two without this one. And this one is supernatural. This one is a supernatural. Anybody can do the first two, whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, believe in God, don't believe in God, have the Holy Spirit, don't have the Holy Spirit. Anyone can simplify. Anyone can let go of control and honor other people. This third one you cannot do except in a supernatural way. And it is when Jesus says to Martha, Mary has chosen well by becoming my disciple. You need to do that. You need to do that. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. Martha was already a very close friend to Jesus. And these, this isn't the only story with Martha. So Martha comes through in really great ways in other places. But here's what Martha had done. She had traded off intimate time with Jesus by a life of activity. She had simply thought, if I just do good things, Jesus will be so pleased. And what Jesus is saying here is, you know what? I like it that you do good things. I like it that you get stuff done. I like it the way that God's wired you. But here's what I need. I need you to be intimate with me. I need you to be my disciple. I need there to be interaction on a regular basis just between you and me. That's what I need, Martha. And so many of us, it's so easy to fall into the trap that we think that being a good Christian, being that person that always comes through, that other people acknowledge as, wow, there's a person of faith. And we just fill up our activity, and yet we don't pay a lot of attention to the intimacy part with Jesus, that part of just loving him and being with him. And so uh, Jesus comes to us and he says, listen, this is what I want. I love your activity. I like the stuff that you do. I'd want you to do stuff. Don't ever jump over the relational part with me. There's a story of a, a guy and uh, very close to his mother. His dad had died when they were young and he was raised by his mother. They were very close. And finally he got to the age where he was going to get married and uh, when he got married, the mom was a little bit worried that the son wouldn't be hanging out with her so much. And so they actually, um, she had a large house and she said, I can live upstairs, you guys can live downstairs. And so they set up that arrangement. And I don't know the wisdom of that, but anyway, it's just a story. And anyway, so uh, they're doing that and the guy does get really busy and you know they start to have children. There's all kinds of things happening. And so he's spending less and less time with his mom. And Mother's Day is coming up, and so he goes out and he gets her a really beautiful dress, and he knows her well. He knows that she'll love the dress. And so he takes it up to her on Mother's Day and says, Mom, here's a present for you. And she opens it up, and she looks at it, and she goes, Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you so much. But he can tell there's something wrong. And he goes, Oh, do you not like the color? And she goes, No, 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 I love the color. Oh, do you not like the style? No, no, the style is great. He said, Mom, I know something's wrong. I know you too well. There's something wrong here. And so she says, Come here. And she goes to her bedroom and opens up the closet and uh, takes out the dress. And she goes, son, I have all kinds of dresses. This is a beautiful dress. And I'll put it right here next to the other dresses. I don't need your dress. I need you. I need you. 
And we know in relationships that that's absolutely true, right? If you love someone, you'll love what they do for you. But in the end, what you love is them being with you, right? That's what you really love. That's what you really cherish. And it's the same with Jesus. He says, that's what I really love. I love being with you, not just the stuff that you do. I love actually being with you. And here's the most amazing thing about peace. He says, as you draw close to me, my peace I will give to you. In other words, the remedy for a hectic life or anxiety or having too many things is to draw close to Jesus and to allow a supernatural peace to become your peace. In Philippians 4, just you don't need to turn there, just look at the screen, is one of the great promises of Scripture for people that are busy. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and then here we have it, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I'll just tell you, this is a true statement, and I'll tell you it from practice. Over and over and over and over again in my life, when things are out of control, if I will take the time to slow down and to pray, if I'll take time to slow down and just be still before God, there is a peace that comes into that situation that has nothing to do with the circumstances because they haven't changed. And he guards my heart with this supernatural peace. If we want to live lives of peace, it has to do with how close we are to Jesus. If you have never invited Jesus into your life, telling the greatest thing you could do this Mother's Day is to say, that's what I need. That's what I want. Jesus, come into my life. Give me that kind of peace. If you've already invited Jesus into your life, it's just a constant reminder. When you're anxious, when you're out of control, when things are going crazy, it is time to slow down. It's about one thing. Choose the one thing. Sit at Jesus' feet. It's an issue of discipleship, of intimacy. That is what brings peace into a circumstance. It's what helps you to say no. It's what allows you not to control others. It's what gives you peace. So would you bow your heads for a second? I want to give you a rare treat, which is just a few moments of peace. I know we did this last week, but I just want to give it to you again. I just want to give you about 30, 45 seconds of peace for you to connect with Jesus, just silently to connect with Jesus. So let's just spend a moment in silence, and then we'll, we'll close our service with some worship.